Hi, and welcome to All Things Cozy with Matt and Jillian. We are a bi-weekly podcast about everything that is warm, soft, and comforting. Today, we are lighting a black flame candle <laughs> and discussing the novelization of Hocus Pocus and its all-new sequel. Will it put a spell on us, or have we been cursed with two idiot adaptations? <laughs> we'll find out shortly, but first, let's discuss what's making us feel cozy this week. Jillian, do you want to go first or shall I? Sure. I'll oh. take it away. All right. Take it away, Jillian. Uh, well, this Friday, there was rain in LA, which was shocking. So nice. But it was so nice because Friday night, got Indian takeout, put on the good place, had a glass of wine, my kitties in my lap, Aww. and the lightning and rain outside. It was the perfect combination of everything. I was in my pajamas. And it was just so nice. It's, it's kind of like a cozy cliche almost. It was so perfect. <laughs> I know. Got takeout, wine, cats, rain. And I was telling Matt that I thought that the lightning was, I don't know, maybe a phone line explosion. What's it called? A phone line? What the hell is it? Telephone wire? Telephone or? wire. I don't, I don't even know either. Yeah. Power, it, power line. Power line, yes. There we go. So that was a power line explosion. Between the <laughs> two of us, we could find the name for that. Yeah. It's amazing. So there's just a perfect storm of cozy literally <laughs> literally wonderful so it does sound it absolutely perfect, perfect. Night. yeah i wish you could do it all the time 10 10 tens across the board yeah perfectly cozy evening wonderful mm-hmm. you really can't beat that i mean really the people affected by hurricane michael are kind of lucky if you think about it all that rain and storms mm, so cozy <laughs> takeout couldn't make reach <laughs> i know that's the one thing is that they can't get takeout yes yeah, so i it was feel i did feel a little bit that as LA rain was trending and the devastation was going on. But yeah. And we're like, oh, it's drizzling. <laughs> Time to go inside and cuddle up with our cats. Yeah. If you haven't seen Jillian's cats yet, you're really missing Aww. out. They're the cutest kittens, I'll Snickers sh- and Reese's. Yeah. I'll share more photos soon. But That's basically cute. going to become our Instagram account is Jillian's. <laughs> it's Jillian's cats are going to take over that account. Yeah. And I'm not mad about and it. And thanks for all the love that I've, you know, been receiving for the the cats. A lot of people commented that they love their names and that they think they're so cute, which is really nice. They are very adorable. Yeah. Check it out. Little baddies. What's making me feel cozy this week is food in Buffalo, New York. So I'm, I'm going to con- contextualize this. <laughs> Actually, what's making me feel cozy above all else was... <laughs> Sorry. I think it was like, just like, yeah, like Buffalo is quite the, the foodie town. <laughs> no, but seriously. Okay, let, let me let me explain. What's really making me feel cozy, actually, is the wedding I attended between two of my friends. They got married in upstate New York, and it was a beautiful wedding, beautiful fall wedding. Got to experience all this wonderful fall foliage, and that was in Canandaigua, New York, if I'm saying that right. That was really cozy. That was an amazing experience. But because of that, we kind of made a little trip out of it. Mm -hmm. My husband and I, we we flew into Toronto and then came down via bus to Buffalo and then from Buffalo to the where the wedding was. Anyway, so Buffalo really blew me away. It could be my cozy location and what's making me feel cozy this week. I have a separate cozy location, but it could be because Buffalo is actually kind of great. I wrote it off. Don't dismiss it out of hand because I did. And maybe because I saw Buffalo 66, which is that Vincent Gallo movie, and he makes it look so depressing. And it, I, I can see that that, that side yeah. of Buffalo exists. Oh, yeah. You know, it's there. I'm not, I'm not saying it's all fun and games mm-hmm. and roses and all that other stuff you could say about great places. It's not all that. 
but the it's a really unique food town. I didn't expect it to have such a strong identity as a food culture. I mean, aside from the chicken wing situation. Yeah. Even beyond that, they have their own style of pizza. So uh, we had blue cheese pizza at Bob and John's La Hacienda, which I don't know if that's a famous place or not, but it was great. It was just such a homey Sounds nice. feeling. And the blue cheese pizza was amazing. It was so rich, kind of over the top in flavor, mm-hmm. as you kind of would expect from blue cheese. But it's like this molten lava layer of blue cheese underneath mozzarella. It's intense and delicious. Did you find it on Yelp or just... Yeah, we found it on Yelp because we were like researching food and discovered that Buffalo prides itself on its own style of pizza, which they say is a kind of a cross between the Sicilian New York slice and Chicago deep dish, Mm -hmm. like kind of meets in the middle. I would say it's more just like regular pizza because I feel like that describes most thin crust as like somewhere between those two things. But anyway, so uh, there's Buffalo pizza, which was delicious, the, the one that we had. Sponge candy. I don't know if you've heard of buffalo sponge candy. No. What's that? It's like, I expected, it, when I hear sponge, I kind of expected like a sponge cake candy. Yeah. But it's really more like, I don't know, have you ever had an arrow bar? It's like a chocolate from the UK. No, I But haven't. it's spongy. It almost looks like the surface of the moon inside, but it's crunchy. It's a crunchy sponge, almost like a mm. wafer. And it was really tasty and it kind of just melts in your mouth. Let it sit on your tongue and it just dissolves. Yeah. And they also have Loganberry. So Loganberry is a a hybrid of raspberry and blackberry. They use that in like, they put that in soda. It's a soda flavor at a lot of places. That's how I tried it. And you can have a Loganberry pie, you know, it's it's in desserts and it's very tart. And so Mm -hmm. Loganberry stuff is, I love that. That was like a delicious I never heard of it. I mean, it sounds like you hit all the great spots. Yeah. You got to go to Buffalo for the food, turns out. (laughs) Apparently. Um, Yeah. It was phenomenal. I mean, I just... Ate myself silly in well, Buffalo. I mean, I think after a road trip and all that travel, you deserved a big gooey blue cheese. Yeah, I came home 10 pounds heavier. It's Well, that's why you, you know, go on vacation. I feel like it's to eat. That's all I do when I go on vacation is <laughs> stuff my face. Yeah, don't write off Buffalo. Check it out. Highly recommend it. In the fall before it gets freezing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> nice time to go. And that brings us to our cozy locations. Just to continue the thread of my trip to New York and Canada, we first visited Toronto. My cozy location is from there. So in the city center, there's a park. And in that park, there's a, there is a farm, a farm called Riverdale Farm. That's so interesting. So in the city center, there's a park. And within the park, there's a farm. And within the farm, there's a... <laughs> it keeps going. Jeez. And it was the... I think part of it is... You know, that. sorry to be that Californian who was like, I miss the seasons, but part of it was we arrived and you're in this park with all this fall foliage and you're on a farm and so you have all those farm smells. Doesn't which get much better. All of it together was, oh my goodness, I'm in a Hallmark movie right now. And it's, it's like I'm in a fall harvest Hallmark movie. It's what wonderful. What kind of animals? Oh, they had them all. They had horses, pigs, cows, goats, sheep, uh, chickens, everything. I'm surprised they're not worried about the animals getting loose and running into the city. Oh, no. They're all well taken care of. They're in little pens. And you just kind of move freely through the barns, and you can check out the animals and their pens. Sounds really nice. You can feed the goats and the sheep. And the horses are out, you know, just grazing. And I'll I'll post some pictures on our Instagram um, before this episode drops. 
but it was so, so cozy. It was like just a cute experience seeing all the children interact with the farm animals. And I think the coziest thing about it was they have all these trails that mm-hmm. go through the park and they're all heavily forested. And so you got all of the fall colors and on these windy forest trails and it was just perfect. Sounds it was lovely. So cozy. And Check very it out. unexpected too. Yeah. I like that you're in a new place and you stumble across something that just amazes you and makes you feel really good that you didn't think would occur. <laughs> like Yeah, a, we did not farm. expect to find this River Riverdale farm. We were there t- for the park. And because there's like a bridge that bridges the east and west sides of the park. I may be getting getting my directions wrong, but it's a great view of the city. And so that's why we went to the park. Yeah. And then we found this farm and it was really cute. So unexpected. If you're in Toronto, check it out. Go to the Riverdale farm. Yeah. Really cute. Jillian, what's your cozy location? I'm going more general because I feel like I'm not that I'm running out of cozy locations, but I was just thinking about places and like general kinds of places that make me feel cozy. Mm-hmm. And that is food courts. Oh, I'm, I'm down with that. So what is your ideal makeup for a food court? What should be in Jillian's <laughs> oh, boy, that's perfect food court? Well, you know, a good if, uh, Sabaro. Okay, I'm with Sabaro. you. Yes. Um, anything that's Asian food. I, I just love Asian food in general. And the more just disgusting it could get, <laughs> throw it my way. Okay, so... Sabaro and a place that's selling disgusting Pan Asian food. Okay, <laughs> pretty much. I mean, those are my those are my greatest hits. But <laughs> if you know, even like a if a Panera's in there, sure, why not? Like Panera I, in a food court. Do they have that? Sometimes I've really? seen one. Um, I don't believe you. I don't. I've seen one. I've before. only ever seen standalone Paneras. Like a little, but it's like in the area of vicinity of the food court. It's like a whole. It's all but part of the mall. Okay. See, when I think food court, I think only of the... F- oh, like yes. The- yeah. So that's more and more I'm thinking of. Or I'll go for... I, I can ever say this right. Chipotle? Yeah. You said it right. I've oh, Some people have made fun of me for how really? I say it. It's like I'm saying chipotle or anything. I'm that's what my friend used to say in high school. Chipotle? Mm-hmm. Oh, so believe boy. me, you're doing fine. Okay. Like sometimes if I'm, you know, okay, I'll go for yeah. that because I never go out of my way to get it. So if it's there... Um, that's pretty much all my greatest hits. I just love the fact there's so many options and it's just the, the possibilities. Yeah. That's cozy to me. And also just how they look. They're just so basic and wonderful. Like right. sometimes you just want something so simple and something that's just no, lo, so low pressure. Total comfort food. It's just comfort food. It's a comfort, comforting air because it's confined space and it's nice to be in a confined space where your one mission is to eat kind of bad food. Yeah, you just want to carb load to do more shopping. And it's just, yeah, it's just comforting because you're, you're in a good place. You're going shopping. It's fun to shop. They're so simple. You know what to expect. It's something to look forward to, like an excuse to eat bad poorly. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. So it's just a cozy feel. And it's sort of a dying art form because, or just a location in, in general because malls are dying. I guess gobble up your Wetzel's pretzels and Annie Ann's or... Who is, is it? Annie Annie? Aunt Annie? <laughs> Auntie. Aunt, Auntie Anne's. Yeah. <laughs> Which just seems confusing. Oh, one last thing I want to say about the, <laughs> the food court. Robert introduced me, our cozy correspondent, to an orange julep. Oh, or- orange, orange Julius. Julius. Orange Julius. In, we can't say anything <laughs> right today. In the in a Oregon mall. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was... One of my first experiences in Orange Julius, and it was delicious. They didn't have them. They don't have them on the East Coast. 
So that's a little treat. Yeah, I feel like on the West Coast, everyone's all about that and hot dog on a stick. <laughs> Not a fan of that. But anyways, that's all I want to say. I love bad mall food. I think that's cozy. Put me in a confined little food court. I'll have a ball. Yeah, same. I, I completely agree. My high school was relatively close to a mall. Mm-hmm. In that mall, they used to have a... Because I feel like food courts and malls used to be this big thing. It used to be events. And mm-hmm. they had a gigantic carousel in yes. the middle of the food court. It yep. was such a scene. Yeah. After you have your bad Asian food, you... Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Just hop on a carousel. Who wouldn't? <laughs> Barf it back up. Yeah. <laughs> Go eat some more. Jeez. That's how they get you. Yeah, apparently. Yeah, they, they fill you up. They make you nauseous. And you barf it up and come back for more. <laughs> and you can't even taste the difference. Between, it comes, it tastes Pretty the same much. going in as it, as it does going out. Food court food. <sighs> That's my hot take. Your hot take. This has been my stand-up set. Oh, jeez. Well, moving on to my own stand-up set. <laughs> Hocus Pocus, I thought. <laughs> okay, well, we're diving right into Hocus Pocus. Yeah, let's get to it because I was really excited about this book. So when I saw that not only was there a novelization of Hocus Pocus that just came out last month, I think it came out in September mm-hmm. 2018. Actually, that's a lie. I think it came out in July. <laughs> it came out in July, I'm pretty sure. Come over the summer. I, I discovered it in September 2018. Not only was it a novelization of the beloved movie, which we really love, yeah. but there was an all-new sequel which is, doesn't, it doesn't get its own title. It doesn't get the dignity of a title. It's no. just Hocus Pocus and the all-new sequel. Yeah, it's um, weird. Adapted by the same ghostwriter underneath the pseudonym J.W. Bantha, who I'm so certain is not a real person. Like, whoever wrote this either was told not to take credit. Did I say J.W.? A.W. A.W. Jantha. I think they were either told not to take credit for it or they didn't want to take credit mm-hmm. for it. There was something happening there, but ghostwritten for sure because there's no other book written by A.W. Jantha. Yeah. So. Ever. And there won't be another one. So there's something going on there. So excited about it. So it's kind of this like, you know, omnibus edition. You get both in the it's same. It's a big book. It's a big book. It's also really affordable. It's $10 for a hardcover oh. book. Mm. Good deal. That's a good deal. You know, so at least you're not breaking the bank to get this book. And I think actually, truly a really positive thing I have to say about this edition is that each um, chapter has these really beautiful illustrations underneath the title. And maps. And and maps. And these charming illustrations were done by Matt Griffin. And so I thought that was a really cool element. Yeah. They put some care into the the way the book looks. Okay, so before we start talking about this, I want to set a couple, just, just be really clear. We are going to spoil it. We're going to discuss spoilers. There's no way to talk about the adaptation and the sequel without telling you exactly what happens because I think a lot of what we have to say about these books will demand spoiling it. it's part of the plot. And I'm going to put my cards on the table and say I really did not enjoy the sequel and I feel like it's my obligation to spoil it so that no one else (laughs) is put through the experience of of reading it. I'm totally serious about that. I wonder if, you know, if we read it through the context of being younger... We would enjoy it more? You know, possibly, but, you know, I guess in the context of being a dumber person, maybe. Well, <laughs> I, don't I know. mean, I, 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 well, I didn't enjoy it either, but I mean, the first part I actually, I thought was fine. I enjoyed the first part of the book, the novelization of the movie that I 
we all know and love. Right. I thought it was it wasn't badly written until we got to the second part and it was badly written. Right. Okay. So let's do this. So we're gonna spoil it. So if you've never seen Hocus Pocus and you're gonna see it this Halloween, stop here. Come back mm-hmm. to us later. Pause this episode, and then once you've seen it, come back to it, because a lot of our discussion will spoil the movie for you, if that's something you care about. So let's talk about the novelization of the the movie first, and then we'll give you one more spoiler warning before we go into spoiling the sequel, Mm -hmm. okay? So you have been fully warned. I don't want any angry emails. I don't want any um, snarky tweets. We're just going to go straight through and spoil everything. So you've been warned. So, okay, let's talk about the novelization first uh, of the movie. It's a little bit strange in that, you know, in the movie, you get that sort of preface of the experience with Thackeray Binks, Mm -hmm. where he is chasing down his sister Emily, and her soul is sucked out by the Sanderson sisters, and then he gets turned into a cat. And then it happens, and then you're in the present day in 1993, and you're with Max Dennison. Mm -hmm. In the book, oddly, structurally, for the first few chapters, it's alternating between what was happening in Salem and what's happening in California. Uh, no, sorry, Salem Salem in the 1600s and then Salem in the 1990s. Which I didn't mind. I didn't mind it, but it was sort of like, to me, a little tedious because, again, reading it, having watched the movie, it's like, I know what's happening, so I kind of wish it was all stuck together like it was in the movie. I didn't quite get the effect that they were trying to go for by splitting that up. Mm-hmm. Unless they were going to carry that through the entire book and reveal some new information, I didn't really get the choice because structurally it didn't do anything new for me. Sorry, I feel like we're jumping ahead a little bit because I, I guess we should talk about just ba- blanket. If you haven't seen it or read it and you don't care about spoilers, what it's about in general. Yeah, so, I mean, I feel like a lot of people have seen Hocus Pocus if they... I'd be very surprised. If but people... just in case you haven't, okay. here's what Hocus Pocus is about. Max Dennison is a California teenager who moves to Salem in 1993. Mm-hmm. He's really cool. <laughs> Hollywood. He's really mad about leaving L.A. Mm-hmm. And he goes to high school on Halloween, and everyone in Salem's going crazy for witches. In particular, the tale of the Sanderson sisters, who legend has it, if you if a virgin lights the black flame candle, they'll be brought back to life. And sure enough, he has a crush on Allison. Mm-hmm. And so in order to win her affection and get her attention, he uh, devises a plan with her with it was him, Allison, and his little sister Danny. They break into the old Sanderson sister house. They light the black flame candle. He's a virgin. And they, the legend is true. The sisters reappear. And they have to stop them from stealing all the souls of the children in Salem before the day is through or else they will be around forever. Yeah. And everyone will be dead. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and so that's like the basic plot of Hocus Pocus. This adaptation, it's pretty... It, I mean, it's, it's pretty straightforward. It's a pretty straightforward... Yeah. It's like how I imagined... Um, this writer writing it, I imagined the person putting, having the movie on in front of them at their computer, or like they're on their couch on their computer while the movie's playing, and they just keep pausing it and like writing exactly what they're seeing as they go through. It very much feels like that. Oddly, some scenes are missing, like the scene where they mistake a guy in a cop costume for mm-hmm. a real police officer is like just not there. I don't know why some of it was just not Time there altogether. constraints? It's a book. What time constraints? Space well, constraints? No, yeah, like, well, because I mean, if you're doing an adaptation of something, you can't include everything, you know, in it. There's always going to be yeah. someone, something's like, my favorite scene wasn't in it, but I mean, I don't know why this person, Botha, or the hell, heck his name is, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, 
you know, didn't include some things, but it sounds like, it sounds like a it sounds like a Star Wars. It is a Star Wars. It sounds really bizarre. Well, Bantha, I'm thinking Bantha. of or like a Star Wars. Um, Whatever <laughs> creature, but Jantha is the person's name. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, the first part, it just brought back. I, what I liked is that it fleshed out the characters in the in the back in time in the Salem, like the sis, sister Emily, like getting in her head and her yeah. thoughts, and you know, kind of fleshing out all those characters. I didn't really care about Max and Allison and hearing more from their perspective. I was more interested in Zachary, Thackery. Yeah. Thackery. Thackery and Emily and just kind of getting their perspective, seeing the townspeople in Salem back then I thought was enjoyable. Yeah. It does flesh out some of the minor characters a little better because you get to get in their heads yeah, a bit more. I like that. In particular, Max, you kind of get his angst mm-hmm. a little more clear in the novel. The one thing I didn't like about the way the novelization was written was this weird winking style of, hey, people were silly in the 90s and making fun of the way people dressed a little bit and some of the lines sarcastically that kind of felt like undercut sort of a more earnest adaptation. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like it kind of was written from a little snide, in my opinion. For example, there's a part where the bullies are there and they block Max and Danny from trick or treating. And one of the bullies is described. And so the line is awkward and toned a guy with the world's smallest ear gauges. To me, that kind of like, Oh, I'm going to watch the movie and kind of make fun of the styles at the time. Kind of funny, but also kind of took me out of it. Yeah. You just wanted a street adaptation. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing about this novelization, you realize reading the story written down, how much it doesn't make sense because all they have to do, the Sanderson sisters, to survive the night ostensibly is to steal the the soul of at least one child. Mm -hmm. And they have a billion by the end of it. They're all around the cabin. The Denison's escape. Winifred takes a vial of the potion And instead of listening to her sisters and just using it on any of the children right there, goes and pursues the Denisons. Yeah. Which, in the book, because there isn't that flavor of the acting and the the music and the tone, you're sort of stuck with a really weird plot choice that didn't make any sense. That just shows that, you know, Winifred is her own worst enemy. (laughs) I guess. To me, it revealed that the charm of the movie to a large extent, and I guess this is not really a surprise or new information, but it it just emphasized it for me. The charm of Hocus Pocus is the performance. It's the actors chewing the scenery, being funny and silly, and the tone of the movie being so goofy and light that it just works. It's like a light, fluffy cake or something. Mm -hmm. And when you deconstruct it, you realize there's not much there especially in terms of plot or any real logic to the story. And so when you don't have, you know, Bette Midler and Kathy and Jimmy in those scenes, bringing it to life and making it goofy, the dialogue kind of falls flat when you read it to yourself. And it seems like it's trying too hard. And the, the plot seems nonsensical. And I just feel like it kind of only works in this perfect alchemy of, the music and the performance and the tone and the costumes and just 
how it all comes together is why Hocus Pocus is special and to me, in my opinion, works. Yeah. And the novelization reveals fundamentally some flaws with the story. I mean, I agree. I think this is a film that's obviously made for the screen. It's mm-hmm. not, I don't, because like you said, it's all about the acting and those little nuances that you just can't replicate Yeah, through text. So I, I completely agree with that. Um, but you do get the nostalgia. I, I'll give you that. Yes, the nostalgia. But the second part was just... I don't know. I okay. don't know. So, so Jillian, can you summarize the plot of the all-new sequel before we dive in? Yeah, so we're flash forward to 2018. Um, we're still in Salem, and it opens in a classroom, a history class, and it's revealed. Now I have to explain how my, my mistake here. I had really bad allergies this week. I think I was really out of it. I thought the character was... A, a man, the main character from the perspective. By the way, the Poppy. main character is named Poppy. <laughs> and Jillian I, I, thought that was a man. I, I, I thought it was weird in my head. I'm like, okay, it's like I was so confused. But maybe that's a testament to the writer. Did um, you think like Poppy, like, <laughs> like I Poppy? <laughs> was that where you're going with that? Is that why? I, no, because it wasn't like the Poppy spelling, Poppy. It was. <laughs> oh, wow. How's it go? <laughs> so. <laughs> Also, before we go any deeper than we've gone, again, fair warning, we're going to spoil the all-new sequel. If you were fine with Hocus Pocus discussion, but you don't, you want to read the all-new sequel for yourself before listening, stop us here. Come back to us after you've read the book. But we're going to dive in. Okay, Jillian, continue. So, so we, have, we have Poppy, a girl. God. Yeah, so I was really out of it, P-O-P-P-Y. Yes, and she has a best friend named Travis, and you're you, they really want to drive it home that we're in the technological world yeah. because all the kids are scrolling through their Instagram and Twitter feeds, as mm-hmm. they said directly in the text. And um, Poppy's history teacher, we learn, is her father, Max Dennison. Right. And and her mother's Allison. And mother's Allison. And her, Allison is a, a lawyer trying to make partner at a firm, mm-hmm. I believe. And so... Max and, and Max is a is the history, history teacher yes, at the school. Yes, history teacher and her history teacher, and it's Halloween, and they, um, the guest Poppy's love interest, Isabella, uh, really wants to talk <laughs> I can't about get how you thought that Poppy was a guy. <laughs> okay, wants to uh, talk about the Sanderson sisters, but Max, the teacher, is very hesitant. How did you miss all the pronouns? <laughs> I just don't get it. Anyway, I just sorry, like sorry. I just had a one track mind. <laughs> so I don't I don't know. It wasn't I don't know where the hell I was. So anyways. <laughs> Um, Max gets really upset when they try, he's not angry, but he gets really kind of flustered or when they try and talk about the Sanderson sisters and he just doesn't want to talk about it. Yeah. Halloween's not celebrated by the Denisons for good reason. It's very traumatic for them. Yeah, And so, uh, but apparently Poppy's only told Travis about his father and mother's, you know, and situation. And their belief that they're real. Everyone else kind of has, because if you think about it from the movie, everyone was, had a spell on them. Yeah. And so... You know, you don't. They don't know what happened except for the kids that were actually there. So he keeps it to himself. Yeah, and so it's a family secret. And and you know, Poppy gets really mad at Isabella because she realizes how her dad's upset, and she's and then Isabella is really confused about why she's upset, and so she then tells Isabella what's going on with her family and says, "Oh, my family has this crazy experience with Sanders sisters," and. That night, uh, the Denisons are throwing a Halloween party, and we learn it's because the Denisons want to keep the kids safe because there's a blood moon. Right. 
And so there's a big Halloween party. They've never celebrated Halloween before, so it's a big deal. Yeah, they, and they just want to keep them entertained and at home. Well, doesn't go as planned. It does not go as planned because Poppy comes... Not, I'm sorry, not Poppy. Isabella arrives at the party with a Ouija board. Yeah. And wants to use it at the Sanderson house. Yep. And there's also Katie we didn't bring up. Is Oh, Katie's the bully. Who is the daughter. Who's of the, the daughter the... of the bully <laughs> from the original movie. Who becomes a principal. Who's the she, principal of the school. This seems very weird to me. Very that, strange. That, yeah, he would become a principal. The last, uh, maybe in jail. There's a lot of sort of <laughs> ironic job roles from the people. In the, like the fact that, you know, the history teacher in the original was the teacher who... Um, tells the Sanderson sister's story, and now he's the history teacher. I know, so it's a lot of ridiculous. Yeah, and then now the bully's the principal, and I guess we're supposed to like, kind of, you know, people in power, blah blah blah. So yeah, so Katie there overhears the story too, and so now it, Poppy's worried that her whole like wacky family story is going to get out there. But anyway, she's in love with Isabella, has such a crush on her, and basically, in order to impress her, impress her exactly. Decides to go along with this plan to talk to spirits in the Sanderson house. And their parents show up. Inadvertently, they invoke an exchange spell when they're there. And so they think they're talking to a spirit, but they're actually talking to the book, the spell book. Allison, Max, and Danny, Aunt Danny, mm-hmm. um, get sucked to hell. To hell. Oh, they spend so the funny. whole book in hell. That's what, that was the funniest part to me because, like, oh, where'd they go? Or, like, they're in hell. It's like, like <laughs> that's a little that escalated. And they make hell sound like it's like the hell of Beetlejuice, basically. It's like waiting rooms and yeah. And I, I thought, I thought that guy was like, oh, it got real dark. But then it just seemed like Allison's she, complaining to a manager of hell. It's just, it's just about something. It's just so ridiculous. Yeah. it's so insane. They have to say to save their parents. They have to stop the Sanderson sisters from basically doing the exact same thing in the first one, which is sucking the souls out of the children and yeah. becoming alive forever. And the exchange spell becomes permanent by midnight if they don't um, get the moonstone, which will, if they break it, will reverse the spell. Which was so crazy to me because it's like things can become permanent for them to like stay alive, but they can always be brought back. It's just, right. I don't know. It's a weird concept, but anyways. That's pretty much the plot of the book, the all-new sequel. It really is more or less a rehash of the original, just updated for the kids. Mm-hmm. So, you know, kids go to... Kids hear the legend of the Sanderson sisters. They don't believe it. They go to the house. They bring them back. The sisters need to steal souls. They enchant the children. The sisters are defeated. The end. It's just that everything's a little bit bigger than and, it was in And the just too much, like, I hate when novels that are supposed to try and be modern, like, invoke modern sayings or characters that was the biggest issue i had too dumpster so, fire they yeah. said that bolt runner guy like oh you're running as fast as it's the book version of that steve buscemi yeah. meme where it's like hello fellow kids like it, that's yeah. what it felt like this book was written by like it's like oh i can use yolo in a book i'm hip like you children it just felt very condescending to it's a little condescending con- kids, it's be quite pan- honest. it's just they're just pandering to them they're like well if we use all of the the modern kid language they'll feel like it's for them it just feels like which just makes it sound even older <laughs> yeah that's what it took me out of it and i i think that we can you know write books for teens that don't pander to these i don't know sayings and references 
I just I kept on pulling pulling me out with all you know the references and so much on the technology. Oh, he was scribbling something on his iPad. You know, it's just constant banging your head over with these references. And just the punniest book ever: Squad Ghouls, <laughs> Resting Witch Face. They sell binding. Yeah, it just was. I I didn't need it. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think anyone needs it. No, it, it, here here's my theory. It's they put this out to test it, just to see if how the book sold, the reaction, to kind of form to put little feelers out there to see if this would be well received enough to adapt. That's my 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 theory. That or. This was a script that was written for Disney that they were thinking about doing a sequel. And because no one wanted to be a part of this, they were just like, well, we already have the story written. Let's just publish it as a, as a book. I could see that both scenarios playing out because um, it just seems unnecessary and yeah. strange. Um, There's got to be some backstory to how the story came about and why they released it this way. Because I always thought when they were talking about doing a, a sequel that it would just be... I, very much like the original, yeah. just an extension of it, not some bizarro <laughs> take on it. And like the whole plot's very confusing with the moonstone and going to hell and just every plot line was super confusing. Yeah. So. And kind of tedious. It's by the end, you're like, oh God, just finish it. Yeah. I didn't like any of the characters. Um, and and the way that the the Sanderson sisters are written just doesn't feel right to me the tone was off in terms of how like the jokes that they made and again i mean even actually the way the original novelization is written again just in written form sounded weird whereas like when they say it out loud in the movie it works because of the way because they're really good comedic actresses and they make the lines work and i can't even imagine the lines that are written in the all-new sequel working if I can't, if, Bette, if you gave these lines to Bette Midler, Kathleen Jimmy, and Sarah Jessica Parker, I don't think they could make them work. Well, for me, also another thing that was distracting: how hard they were trying to make it diverse. Oh yeah, it's it's it's, it's like, so so hard. Lesbians and uh, the black friend, and it, it's just everything. The first black, the Isabella's dad's the first black mayor of Salem. Yeah. And then at the Halloween party, they're like, "Oh, Juan, so glad you could come." Like, just it's. Just, you know, that's not, to me, that's not diversity. You know, diversity is representation. This mm-hmm. is just like you trying to make something diverse to check off all the boxes. It was checking off all the boxes so, so that everyone gets like, oh my God, it's a lesbian story in Hocus Pocus. And it, it, it was attention getting and they got a lot of attention for it. I mean, all of the headlines about this all new sequel are about there's a Hocus Pocus sequel and it stars a lesbian couple. Ooh. Like that's like the selling point. Jillian missed it, but (laughs) the the real lesbians didn't get the memo, I guess, but the rest of us, that was how the book was marketed. I thought thought Travis and Poppy were an item. I was so confused. (laughs) This did not fundamentally work for Jillian. (laughs) Anyway, the the Poppy and Travis are two gay boys. I completely. Oh my God. You really, I, I just, I don't know what's happened. The pronouns are like right on the page, Julian. How did you miss oh that? Boy. Hashtag spell on you. Yeah. Okay, so anyways. a couple of things that did work for me. Mm-hmm. Just, just just so that it's not a total um, pile on. I liked two things about the all new sequel. One was the way they brought the Sanderson sisters back. Mm-hmm. Even though there was some elements to it that I thought were clunky, 
it kind of worked for me. It's like there's a there's an exchange spell. The mechanics of it worked differently enough from the black flame candle that it felt like they had thought about it for a while, like how they were going to get the, the sisters back. The spell book kind of got them back through mm-hmm. a spell that it had inside of it, and I, I buy that. I like I I think that that could have worked. I like it as a mechanic. I like that it's also a really good way of getting the original trio out of the picture. Yeah. And making them be the ones in peril worked. And so I I think that plot element worked for me. And I also liked, I liked the use of cell phones and technology in the book as a way that the the sisters use that against the kids. Mm -hmm. So instead of Sarah Sanderson singing that song over the air and spell and putting a spell on all the children, she basically does a phone tree where she like enchants one kid and the next kid and, and they all like, it goes viral. I feel like that could have worked a little bit better. Maybe she would have made a video that goes viral. Like they could have been a little funnier, but like I ultimately the phones make the kids zombies. And obviously that's very like on the nose yeah. criticism of phones, but also <laughs> felt timely. And I, I kind of liked the, the incorporation of that and a modernization of that thing. But ultimately you are just getting a rehash of the original story at which point I almost just feel like the story is so thin as it is and it's all performance based. If you're going to remake Hocus Pocus, just like fully remake it. Yeah. Just redo the whole movie and don't bother to do that thing that we're doing a lot now, which is doing a remake, but not doing a remake. It's a sequel. It's like Jurassic World did this. It's the exact same movie as Jurassic Park, but like updated. Well, you know what? We didn't need it. And that's pretty much that sums it up. We didn't need it. We didn't need it. I can imagine like if it just maybe if it were better written. I could have I could have been there for it. Like it's just was so the writing was so annoying. I would just read out passages from it to my husband and we would just laugh and laugh cuz it just sounded so silly. Like I said, the first part was tolerable to me. So if you the novelization, mm-hmm. I thought was interesting in some ways cuz it got fleshed out more of the minor characters, but the second part was just a mess. But I mean, I'm not surprised as well. Just skip it and rewatch the movie. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. All right, so that brings us to our cozy celebrities. Who who we discussed today on Celebrities That Calm Us. I'll go first. My celebrity that's calming me is a spooky choice, and oh. I'm surprised I never mentioned him before, but Tim Curry is okay. a celebrity that calms me because he is a workhorse. I love Everything a Everything he's ever appeared in, he knocks out of the park. He's so funny. He just pulls you in. You're like, you, you can't stop looking at him, whether he's playing the clown from It or Frankenfurter from Rocky Horror, or the butler in Clue. He's silly and funny and scary all at the same time, and you just can't keep your eyes off of Tim Curry. Everything I've ever seen him, I'm like, I, I feel like I just cut up in a blanket and watch Tim Curry act and do anything. I think he's brilliant. Yeah. so I, seasonal I, I just, choice. He just also in his so many cult movies, like the ones I just listed, which are themselves cozy. Like he's in a lot of cozy classics. Yeah. And so that kind of rubs off on him too. I like that choice. I wouldn't have ever like thought of it, but it's actually a, quite a good choice. He's really funny. And seasonal. Yeah. He's very silly. Yeah. And silly is cozy, if you ask me. I think so. Every all of my cozy celebrities are silly. Yeah. We like good sillies. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a silly cozy celebrity? Actually, kind of. It's a random choice. If I say he's silly. Keenan Thompson. Oh, okay. Didn't we already say him? I hope we did it. I think someone already said him. I'm pretty Are sure. Are you serious? Yeah. Who? Didn't you? I think you did. I did? Maybe. We'll just go ahead. Keenan Thompson again. <laughs> 
I don't know. I hope I didn't. We'll talk about it and I'll look him up. Okay. Why is he your cozy celebrity? Because I remember him from Keenan Kel and he, I love how he's just been on SNL forever. Um, cause a lot of people try and use as a leap pad. Yeah, other, people, other people like move on with their career. Well, no, people try and like be flashy, <laughs> try and have these like big movie careers and they, I think a lot of them burn out or they're, you know, the flavor of the week and they capitalize on that. But Keenan is just content to do SNL for his whole entire life, which I fi- somehow find comforting. And then there's also the aspect, <laughs> his Whoopi Goldberg impression. Mm-hmm. Oh, we did that before. Okay, who said that? It was in episode 28. I said that? I don't. Maybe it was our, our guest said that. I and think so. you said Mae Whitman, maybe? I said Jenna Fisher. You said Jenna Fisher. Someone else said Keenan Thompson. Goddamn. So someone else's... So, double Apparently shout out, Keenan. Apparently, he's Kenan. really Keenan. Re- yeah, really cozy. Okay. Does something inspire you recently that you saw him in? Well, that- yeah, this Saturday, I don't know why. I was just going through old clips of Keenan doing his Whoopi Goldberg. I love when the skit's about his, the His view. Whoopi is good, yeah. The Whoopi is just so comforting and funny, and he just always nails it. And so, I just I just love that Whoopi Goldberg impression. I could watch it all day long. I don't know why. <laughs> it's just something that I'm really gets me. I, I love... Uh, when SNL does the view. Oh, it's so good. And yeah. Fred Armerson is not cozy, but he does Joy Behar to a T. Like he, so what? he who cares? Yeah, yeah. So so what? Who cares? And Joey's at the shoulder shrug. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Great choice. Now, now I wanted to say Fred Armerson as Joy Behar is really the coziest celebrity. Yeah. And then finally, we're going to wrap up with our candle review. Which I love. Which we have a very special candle mm-hmm. to review today. So... We, this is a candle that was sent to us by our lovely listeners. Jason, Jana. We hope we're saying Jana right because I know there's different pronunciations, but Jana and then Katie. Yeah, th- the Beams, the Beam siblings. Trio of Beams. Yeah, we got a trio of Beams sent us this. We're beaming. Yeah, we're beaming with pride. With pride. Thank you so much. This is a candle that, again, we're cheap as hell. So you really kind of upped the ante for our candle reviews. So thank you for... Letting us try something a little classier. And it's the <laughs> sweetest card you sent with it. And we're so grateful to have you as listeners. Couldn't ask for better listeners. And we so appreciate you and the thoughtfulness that you put into this gift that you sent us. And all the thoughtful comments you leave on our episodes and social media posts. Much appreciated. And we love having you as listeners. Yeah, we're really lucky to have you. So Thank you so much for this candle. And the candle they sent is a pine and leather scented candle. Um, it's done by a company called Ranger Station. And the mission statement of the company is it's a candle line geared towards men, sort of manly scents, nothing flowery, which actually we both prefer scents that aren't yeah, perfumey or like flowery. Yeah. And the lead designer or the creator of the company, his whole thing is he loves cocktails and he loves candles, which he sounds very cozy in and of himself. Mm-hmm. And, I'm, and he's, a, he's a guy who's able to embrace that about himself, which I, I admire. And so the candles come in a whiskey glass, so you can reuse the glass for your drinks, and they come with a cocktail recipe. Which is perfect. They merge those that cocktail and candle interest. Comes with matches, comes with, again, the cocktail recipe, mm-hmm. the whiskey glass, and obviously the candle itself. So leather and pine, you get notes of pine, leather, and cedar wood. And the description of the candle is... Inspired by and bringing back memories of Granddad's Cabin in the Northwoods, scent number one, leather and pine, um, is your slow mornings with pine needles rolling beneath your boots. It's your calm before taking on the storm. I love that. Yeah. 
It's and, really nice. And it's a really beautiful scent. It's a strong leather scent. It is very masculine. I would buy the, this candle on my own. So it's, mm-hmm. it's lovely. I give it um, full wick. A f- two full wicks. Two full wicks. Yeah. Straight up and lit. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's been a lovely time. Yeah. So, so again, thank you yes, to the thank beams. thank you. Um, this candle is amazing. Check, it out, check out the Ranger Station line. Like they're really... It seems like a really high quality candle line and, and we really enjoy the scent. So thank you again for this gift. I we loved really it. appreciate it. It is a great A in my book. Speaking of gifts, we have a giveaway. Yeah. So starting today, we're going to drop the information about our giveaway, which will run for the next week or so. Well, the, the details will be in the post. Check out our social media. Mm-hmm. We are giving away a Hallmark Fall Harvest movie collection. So you can watch the same films that I reviewed last year. And have for the rest of your life till the day you die. Until the day you die, clutch that DVD. It's it's a three movie collection of Harvest Love, Moonlight in Vermont, and Love Struck Cafe, and we're giving it away for free to listeners. Yeah. So there's one, and if you, to win this DVD set, you have to share your favorite episode of our podcast on a social media network. Tag us, and we'll put you into the drawing. The drawing, and then we'll let you know who wins at at the end of October. Um, again, more, check out our social media for more details about the giveaway. But put your hat in the ring, and you'll get some some cozy Fall Harvest Hallmark movies. Yeah. Well, and uh, looking forward to seeing what your favorite episodes are. Yeah. So, you know, sp- spread the love around, spread the gospel of all things cozy, um, and you might just get some cozy Hallmark movies. Good luck. Bargain. So good luck. Avoid this Hocus Pocus book. And above all else, stay cozy. Stay cozy. <laughs>